0: you're listening to the psychedelic invest podcast where we speak with founders ceos investors advisors experts and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines brought to you by psychedelic invest bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now, here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Cody Sandra. He is partner and director at Ambria Capital. We're going to talk to him about what they're seeing in the psychedelic space. We're talking a little bit about how it's similar and different than cannabis. And we're going to kind of see like what companies are out there, what's interesting from an investment point of view, and, and really kind of where this market is going. I'm excited for the conversation. I think this is kind of understanding where psychedelics are and where we are as an industry is a little bit of a moving target here. But you know, I think we're learning more and things are shaping up. So I'm kind of excited to kind of really kind of understand, you know, from some someone's in the space doing work with companies, placing money, helping them grow. It's gonna be an interesting conversation. So with that, Cody, welcome to the program.
2: Bruce, thank you for having me. Super excited.
1: Yeah, no, my pleasure. So before we kind of dive into what's going on in psychedelics, let's kind of understand your background personally, professionally, like how do you get into this? Tell us the story.
2: So I guess high level psychedelics was something that was actually introduced to us at one of the cannabis conferences. Didn't even know that it was an option for yeah. us to invest in back in 2019 we We're at the Benzinga conference down in Miami. And one of the bankers actually came up to us and asked, have you heard of this company called MindMed? And mm-hmm. that's how it all started. It was amazing, obviously, being involved in the cannabis space and seeing all of the different verticals that were being invested in at the time and being a part of something that's obviously had such a large cultural part of the American fabric. And what goes back, even maybe a little bit farther and more impactful than that, is psychedelics. You know, there was a tremendous amount of work obviously done in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even the early 70s before everything was shut down. Yeah. So, while Several of us have had personal experience with psychedelics, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, family members and friends, you know, everybody knows everybody's heard something. And even if they haven't used them, you know, kind of what you've heard to the grapevine about them, you know, just made it a really exciting and interesting space to take a look at. And then, you know, unlike the traditional pharma model. We already had decades of data and reports mm-hmm. showing that, I mean, there was unbelievable success in treating so many different things, you know, related to mental health. I mean, a lot of people don't even know this, but Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, one of their founders originally planned on using LSD as part of their treatment, getting yeah. people you know, off of their
1: alcohol, Helping people with addiction, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I, you know, it was just something very exciting. And as obviously the network started to grow and all of these companies started popping up, you know, one of the really unique things about the space is where cannabis originally was kind of centrally located, all of the companies in the US and Canada, this is completely different. It's yeah. completely global. I mean, we have companies all over the world in the UK, Ireland, Canada, the US, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico. I mean, literally everywhere. Israel. So it's a much more global industry than cannabis was when cannabis was in its infancy, kind of moving. And, and what do
1: you think that is? Like, what, is this just because of the nature of you know, like how the markets were structured, or the regulations were structured, or what? What's your insight on why this is a much more global play?
2: You know, I think. Probably because one in five people in the world experience some form of mental health issue. I think that this is cannabis was more looked at, obviously, when it started making its push into mainstream, it tried to almost disguise itself as medicinal. But we all know, you know, just in the United States alone, I mean, there were 60 million built in users uh, of cannabis here. It was just a completely different thing on the recreational side, where Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's really the. I don't don't want to say COVID helps, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's tremendously stunted social contact interrupted activities yeah. that you know normally lower stress levels i just think that the timing was ripe for something like this to really from a cultural aspect kind of help ease the burdens that have been placed on us over the last 19 20 months here so yeah you know and then obviously listen the scientific community again gets back to these being studied for decades
1: Yeah. So tell me, I'm curious, tell me more about how the fact that we do have a a fairly significant body of research and knowledge and, you know, trials and, you know, of, of using, um, you know, using psychedelics versus cannabis. I think, you know, obviously one of the challenges we've had is we don't have this data, right? We, we haven't been able to, to actually do studies and clinical trials and things like that. So there's there's a kind of a dearth of of real understanding of how how things work and effectiveness and, you know, modes of operation and stuff. I mean, how has this helped psychedelics to actually have this body of work Uh, In terms of the actual driving the industry at this point.
2: I think it's created an aura of legitimacy around Mm -hmm. it that cannabis didn't really have. Obviously, when Sandoz kind of uh, was able to, well, Albert Hoffman at Sandoz was able to (laughs) really synthesize it in 1938. You know, it was originally as a stimulant for respiratory and circulatory Ailments. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, at the time when they were really trying to discover exactly what LSD did, Sandoz was giving away unbelievable amounts. I mean, literally hundreds of liters of this stuff to people all over the world for them (laughs) to formulate their own trials and practices. And you know, unfortunately, there was such a great amount of work done. Like I said, in the 40s, the 50s, and then. Towards the 60s, unfortunately... I I hate to kind of put this all on one guy, but really, I mean, Timothy Leary kind of made... Mm -hmm. you you know, just made the industry to a point where it was stigmatized again. And, you know, unfortunately, those are lasting effects even today. I mean, I've talked to several researchers and doctors from all over the world. I mean, especially in the U.S. where, uh, I mean, it was stigmatized so bad where they don't even like talking about the work that they're doing because of you know, the government crackdown that was on it. Now, obviously, the DEA has been great in granting exemptions and licenses Mm -hmm. for a lot of these labs, colleges, universities to, uh, you know, begin work. And obviously, Canada has just been, I mean, I I wish I could say enough positive things about them. The Canadian government has just shown such a willingness for clinicians. And and
1: so why why do you think the government's, you know, regulatory DEA and the regulators and the governments and stuff have been seemingly much more open and willing to allow this to develop than the cannabis market?
2: If I had to guess, I mean, obviously, I'm not privy to those conversations. but uh, (laughs) Your, um, Your best guess, educated guess. Yeah, I think because they now see, you know, where some of the mistakes in the 60s that were made where you had, you know, therapists and doctors and all of these people saying, listen, man, you know, just take some LSD at home and use it recreationally, where before it was handled in such a safe manner you know and it was really inclusive to so many different walks of life you know alcoholics drug addicts i I mean even just mothers that were dealing with stress at home but the conversation started to shift drastically towards recreational use especially of lsd at that time Mm -hmm. where I, i think that's why the government really clamped down on it but now again because you have Such a large regulatory framework, whether it's the National Institute of Health or the FDA or Health Canada, you know, now that all of the templates are being followed for safety. To make sure that obviously not only they can be marketed in a safe manner, but they're also being used in a safe manner. There's a a real large push, you know, and I'm very happy to say that we've been investing in clinics all over the world that are now really being leaders in the space and not only developing uh, methods of use, but also the safest protocols to use these in controlled manners. You know, while I think the recreational side for a lot of people is how they were introduced, psychedelics i think that we're going to see the most advantageous steps forward in the clinical settings um and because there is such a large infrastructure now of doctors and therapists that are willing to use these products you know whether it's maps or something like that that are training all these therapists all over the world i think that they see that the regulatory aspect is coming back to the industry so they're more open to not only allowing the study of them but also the use in humans
1: yeah I'm curious what you're investing in. I mean, what, what, are the, what are the companies out there right now? What are they doing? Why invest in them? What are you looking for in terms of opportunity? Give us a sense of really what's happening in, in the market or how you see the market as an investor and what's interesting for you
2: so one of the things that makes us very unique is we manage all of our own money we don't have any Mm -hmm. outside shareholders or investors so it's really cut the red tape of what we can invest in and how we can invest so our portfolio is i believe personally the most diverse of anybody in the space right now Uh, we have invested in several companies all over the world like i was saying that are putting up clinics for everything psilocybin ketamine lsd mdma uh, literally everything you could possibly think of under the sun were the legal in those jurisdictions and then Mm -hmm. obviously the drug development side companies that are creating analogs of existing compounds or creating completely new entities themselves new chemical entities themselves you know it's The space is so ripe for opportunity because these things were kind of locked in a box for decades that now Mm -hmm. all of the research that was done, like we were talking about, you know, so many decades ago, you have a brand new group of scientists that have been able to look at a lot of these existing compounds and their, let's just say, better properties and some that are... (laughs) Uh, Less desirable, you know, not shockingly, some people don't want to go sit in a therapist chair for six to eight hours and trip really (laughs) hard. (laughs) So, you know, you see companies that are developing chemicals that have quicker onsets and shorter half-lives or, you know, Mm -hmm. even some companies that are taking the trip completely out of the experience, but are still getting the desired results at the trips.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a a tripless high. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: And then, you know, there's some really interesting things happening on the technology side. We've invested in two really incredible companies on the, they're creating new chemical entities, but they're inside of AI learning. So instead of having to follow the traditional, you know, quote unquote, model of drug discovery, now they can take one drug and spin off thousands of different analogs and new chemical entities based on that existing drug to see which drugs are going to be the most safe. And also, you know, getting rid of some of those tendencies that, you know, certain therapists, physicians, and even insurance companies don't really want to be a part of. So, um, I mean, the opportunity has just been, every time I think I've seen it all, there's something new that's knocking (laughs) on our door
1: (laughs) every day. I'm curious where, how do you think this market is going to develop? I mean, is this, is this going to become, you know, like, you know, other kind of drug therapy kind of markets, you know, th- things that have been kind of developed and brought to market or how, how do you think this is going to be similar or different than some of the other things that have happened, you know, kind of drugs that have been developed?
2: Yeah, I have this conversation so frequently (laughs) now, I I find myself shifting back and forth depending on who I'm talking to. Um, I hate to use the analogy, but I guess it depends on who's in the room, right? Whether it's the suits or whether it's the roots. Yeah. You know... Listen, we all know that the usual methods of let's just use anxiety or depression or I mean, even addiction, whatever the case may be, um, it looks like the ceiling for SSRIs or talk therapies or, you know, in the cases of addiction, you know, 12 step programs or rehab programs, the effectiveness for these things are just so small. Yeah. You know, it's just a large percentage of sufferers are just they're not being taken care of. You know, one of the reasons why we've kind of invested so heavily into the space is all of us have loved ones that have been affected, you know, whether it's from addiction or depression. And, you know, we've seen that the traditional model just doesn't work. I think that probably the most important thing to look at here is, is there going to be mainstream adoption for a lot of these different therapies and new chemical entities or existing ones. And I think that you already, whether it's Johnson & Johnson with esketamine and Spravato, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like the adoption is there. People are ready to try something new. So I think just like any blossoming industry, listen, when you're making this many frontier investments, you're going to have some mistakes that look foolish in hindsight, right? As the industry matures. But at the same time, the asymmetric rewards when the analysis plays out is... Listen, it makes that worthwhile, and I think that pharma is going to look at that as the exact same type of model that a lot of the VCs right now in the space are looking at it. So Mm -hmm. is there going to be mass consolidation like there was in cannabis? Of course every industry. Yeah, exactly. And I think I that the pharma model of them developing drugs in-house, listen, it's so expensive and time-consuming and you would need an army of people to do this. Why would you not have a bunch of small companies go out and do all the legwork and then, listen, as soon as it shows some promise in phase two or phase three, then they can come in and acquire and use those deep pockets to kind of take it to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the industry, of course, as it matures, there's going to be mass amounts of consolidation and you know, just like any industry, I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are jumping on for less than noble pursuits. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, unfortunately, it's the nature of the business, right? Where
1: do you think we are in timing? I mean, it's a, I mean it, like a lot of this is, a lot of it, what I'm, I've been trying to figure out is, you know, where are we in the cycle and how long is the cycle going to take, right? So, you know, we're in this kind of early stage, lots of new ideas, lots of, you know, early stage companies that are Coming to market, and then yes, there's going to be a consolidation phase, there's going to be a maturing phase, right? Like, do you, where do you think we are in that kind of process? And then, you know, is this a 10 year process, five year process, three year process? I mean, we're based on what you've seen, what are your guesses on how this is going to play out?
2: Really tough to say. I, you know, we obviously have this conversation internally almost daily. I hope you do. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not, you should be. (laughs) Yeah. I I really think, um, you know, we're probably at stage two or three right now. There was obviously so much interest in late 2019, early 2020. And then towards the fall, you really seen a a large market depression. You know, a lot of the public companies, a lot of the private companies, evaluation just came really crashing down. And then, I don't know, maybe around the, let's say, late fall, early winter in 2020, everything started blowing back up. And then in January of, this year, I mean, everything just exploded again. I mean, there were over a dozen IPOs and RTOs that were taking place. And, you know, the media exposure just went absolutely crazy. We had a, a little bit of outside analysis done just on the, you know, the media footprint and what was kind of culturally relevant. And it's funny, in 2020, there were less than 50 major publications that covered the topic. Mm-hmm. and. Already in this year, and you know what? Are we a little over halfway through? There's already been over 500. So I really think that the industry is—it's so early still. And I mean, unfortunately, listen—the hype is real now. Um, no. We've seen the valuations just skyrocket as of recently. I mean, there were companies that had intellectual property portfolios that were absolutely incredible at valuations that most people in the pharma and drug discovery world could never dream of seeing.
1: Yes, yeah, so talk to us about that. Like what is what are some of these valuations? What is, you know, what is it based on? You know, how how are people justifying this and then like yeah, why does it fit or not fit some of the other markets that are similar to this?
2: The valuations have been one of the most interesting parts of this industry, I would say since we've been involved. Yeah. You know, we've made 43 deals in the space and Uh, I, I can tell you the valuations from two years ago to a year ago to today are completely different. Companies that had multiple different molecules in their pipeline through phase one and phase two trials, you know, the valuations were just so low because Listen, obviously, number one, you're dealing with scheduled substances that have been kind of blacklisted from the mainstream for so long. So a lot of people were very cautious and it was also very hard for a lot of these founders to raise money at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, where now it seems like because there is such mainstream adoption in the media, in the finance world, in the investment banking side, you know, I mean, I can't even tell you how many investment banks I've seen over the last six months enter the space where you know last year at this time i mean there were maybe 4 or 5 you know there's over 20 now so yeah. it, so
1: you think it's just just the demand for placing money has you know has just driven up these, up these uh, the valuations
2: yeah it's one, yeah. 100% unfortunately you know it's a catch 22 because now these companies obviously have much higher valuations they're raising much larger rounds but a lot of these early stage companies are failing to even build on their ideas you know, without proper resources. I
1: mean, it's like what happened in cannabis. It's like, you you know, the evaluation was just through the roof, but then, then that puts pressure on the companies and they just can't, they just can't meet those expectations. They just can't deliver on that return.
2: Yeah, it's exactly. And then, you know, again, getting back to maybe the actors that are running operations that they're maybe not qualified to, I don't think a lot of these people really understand the amount of money and time it takes to get a drug through the clinical process. Yeah. You know, let alone passing the standards (laughs) that are, I mean, maybe the most stringent in the world of the FDA, Um, you know, just on the pharmaceutical side, but a lot of these guys, you know, I guess just because you are raising money at a certain price maybe it doesn't mean you should have you know stretching the valuation it's, it's going to punish anyone who's operating outside of the hype cycle yeah you know I I talked to several founders now where they're having investors ask them why the valuation is so low <laughs> on their companies because they've seen companies that have less of you know, half of what they have inside of their pipeline, but are raising at valuations that are 10 times higher. So it's, you know, it's really, I guess, and listen, we obviously know this from any industry in the world. While past successes never guarantees future performance, I I think it's a very strong indicator of where a company is headed. And Mm. I think that some of these founders lack the not only the management expertise and the back office functionality, but just the general understanding of the compliance and regulatory bodies that they're going to be navigating through over the next several years.
1: Yeah. Where where are you finding these founders coming from? I mean, where where have you noticed kind of the source of, you know, starting these companies and and founders are are they coming from certain industries, certain situations? I mean, what's the theme that you've seen from the founder side on the psychedelic space?
2: So two years ago, uh, (laughs) um, I would say more than 75% were from the cannabis space man. You've yeah. seen a lot of guys that made their names and, you know, made a tremendous amount of money. Kind of moved over because they have seen the next wave. And listen, that's just like anything, right? I mean, there were mining guys that moved into crypto, yeah, exactly. and then crypto, crypto guys and, that moved and crypto, into cannabis. <laughs> yes, yeah. so I, I mean it's <laughs> the just next, the next wave. Yeah, yeah. man, it's I, you know, and listen, that's a good thing too, right? It's the entrepreneurial yeah. spirit, kind of seeing what's next in the pipe. And yeah. you know, our fund has been very successful because we've invested in a lot of those you know emerging industries. So it's it's a great thing. But now. I would say more than 75% of the founders, especially over the last 12 months, almost every single one of these guys have pharma experience. Yeah. And, you know, it shows not only on the clinical side of their operations, but also on the drug development side, their understanding of the processes and the amount of capital that is required to get something through is just,
1: it's... Yeah, what are they, I mean, I I may have heard various kind of numbers, but what's your sense of... To really take a drug through a chemical through, you know, the clinical trial process, like what are the phases and what generally are kind of rules of thumb, how much how much you need for each phase to really make this work?
2: So, I mean, listen, it depends, obviously, of what's in play, whether it's a new chemical entity or whether it's something that, um, you know, is just starting. I, I really think to be conservative, you should be expecting five years. Yeah, I really. Listen, and that's
1: just to get through the approval process.
2: Exactly. I mean, we're not even yeah. talking about commercialization at that point yeah, exactly. of getting them into doctors' hands and getting them into therapists. The beautiful thing that obviously a lot of these companies are working on are like let's just use psilocybin for an example. Is listen at this point, it's just going to be finding target indications. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the approval process is probably going to be much much quicker than for these companies that are developing new chemical entities. You know, and listen, obviously the main question that regularities face is, number one, do you keep the patient safe from dangerous drugs, which I'm not saying these drugs are dangerous, but this is how they're looking at it, Yeah. but also taking the necessary risks to advance medicine, right? You know, it's one of the things, obviously, that when taking experimental drugs, there could be devastating side effects, let's be honest, you know, and especially yeah. for... You know, let's just use addiction, for example. I mean, you're talking about a very, very high-risk patient pool. Yeah. Here. Powerful, powerful situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, well, whether it's, you know, AIDS in the 90s or cancer, I mean, listen, some of those experimental unproven treatments, I mean, they could end in death. I mean, yeah. in, in some yeah, was, cases.
1: Yeah. Yeah, understanding how to use them, side effects, all this stuff is so unknown that, that there's a non-trivial chance of negative, uh, negative consequences with some of these yeah, research.
2: But I guess the beautiful thing is, listen, is you now have... I mean, hundreds of thousands, I mean, really millions of patients, but let's just say hundreds of thousands that have opened uh, just into something like depression. We know SSRIs, like we were talking about earlier, just, I mean, listen, it's just so moderately effective. I mean, they know that something new has to be tried. So as long as the proper protocols are in place for experimenting you know, with unorthodox new treatment methods, I think everybody's open to. I mean, you know, you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars in expenses for insurance companies right now dealing with these things that have no treatments available currently. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have to try something new. Yeah, yeah, it can't can't <laughs> get much worse. Yeah, exactly. Exa- I mean, or, or yeah, can't really go backwards at this point. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it just is what it is.
1: And in terms of the money that these companies need to raise, I mean, to get to get through five years through, you know, all the stages of clinical trials, like what's like, what do they have to raise? Like, what is it? Like, what's the number like just ballpark number of what it takes to get a drug approved so you can even just begin to go to market?
2: I guess, again, it gets back to who you're talking to. (laughs) I mean, some of these guys, you know, I mean, man, you talk to them and they're like, "Ah, listen, you know, I'm just going to raise $10 million and it's going to get me through phase twos. And I mean, it it makes your head spin sometimes. I mean, I would have to guess, you know, and again, it depends on who you talk to. I would say $100 million is probably at the low end in a lot of these cases. Yeah. You know, I mean. You talk to some of the legacy pharma guys, and I mean, you're talking 2 to $3 billion through commercialization. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, yeah. I don't, you know, you see some of these press releases for companies that are talking about raising, you know, $50, $100 million, and oh my God, this takes us, to, it's a drop in the bucket to really what you need. And listen... Obviously, a lot of these things are being granted, you know, special designations in certain therapies. So, you know, while there may be a lot of one-offs or where the FDA will accept smaller or shorter trials, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of these things, like I said, are going to be multi-year, multi-hundred million dollar processes, uh, conservatively.
1: Yeah. And what what are the other kind of bottlenecks in the industry right right now? Like what what's kind of holding things back from things accelerating? Or what do you anticipate things being kind of hiccups or or restrictions, challenges, limits in the industry as things uh, scale?
2: I'd say two things mainly. Number one, making sure that the science that is being preached is being practiced. I think that there has to be such stringent testing and protocols right now, I mean, you know, God forbid, I hate to use this guy's name again, but another (laughs) Timothy Leary moment in the industry, I think, is uh, the last thing that everybody needs. You know, we're at such a pivotal point right now where it seems like the opportunity is right. Again, it's back to the COVID thing, you know, uh, there needs Uh to be uh, additional opportunities for People that want to try new therapies, even if it's cancer patients for end-of-life treatment, you know, to help ease their suffering or pain or fears, whatever the case may be. So I, I just hope that nobody steps outside of the bounds of what is medically accepted and proven. I mean, while it's great to let people try certain things, beating your drum and telling everybody that they need to do or try, I guess differing opinions on administrations or (laughs) treatments it gets a little scary so i just hope that everything's followed along for what not only the regulatories but also the clinicians that are studying and proving out a lot of these things are telling um you know their patients of how to use them and then number two i think there's going to be a giant bottleneck of qualified and trained therapists administering a lot of these things one of the real special you know we've personally and as a fund made a several donations to maps Mm -hmm. you need nonprofits in the space that are going to be pushing the boundaries forward and also going to be doing a lot of the training for therapists and clinicians You know, you could have all the drugs in the world, but guess what? If we don't have the proper protocols to administer them or also help alleviate any fears that may, you know, come into place after taking them, then I I mean, really, this is all for nothing. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why we have made such a large push into the clinic space. There has to be places to do these drugs safely.
1: Yeah. I think it's a big, interesting kind of difference with cannabis. You know, cannabis is a little bit more of like you know we just got to get product onto the shelves and people can use it. They can do it themselves. There's like we don't need a whole lot of infrastructure to to bring this to market or actually have users, you know, customers use it. Where in this case, you know, this this is just part of a whole system that needs to be in place with facilities and therapists and technology. To actually create the solution, right? It's not just the chemical, right? It's a, it's the therapeutic process that needs to get designed. So I think that's it'd be, it's it's very interesting to kind of see this play out from a you know what needs to get developed in the industry. And I think you know beyond the drugs, there's all these other things that need to happen.
2: Yeah, and I think um, you know that's kind of get back to the first thing you and I talked about, kind of what separates cannabis from psychedelics is the recreational versus the medical side. I, I think yeah. almost everybody involved inside of the psychedelic industry right now understands the therapeutic approach for almost every single one of these compounds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Cody, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information?
2: Always feel free to reach out to me. Cody at ambriacap.com can find me on social Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn at Shandra Cody, and also want to take the opportunity Just to say, listen, find the companies like Maps, like Beckley, the people that are doing the right things in the space and give them a follow. You'll always see the tip of the spear of what's going on from the regulatory backing of, you know, just the industry overall.
1: That's great. Cody, I'll make sure that all those, uh, the links and the handles and everything are in the show notes here so people can get that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Of
2: course, Bruce. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of uh, the the group of presenters uh, on here. I know several of them are very excited that have recorded and are going to be recording in the future. So I'm really looking forward to it.
1: That's excellent. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's it's a fun industry. It's been a fun conversation and I'm excited to get this, uh, get this content out there.
2: All right, Bruce. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast.